I stand alone. Hi, I care. Standing alone, doing it all by myself. The Lone Ranger. A one-man band. It's a lot of work, but somebody's got to do it. Say, what, what you got there? I like the belt. Oh, it's DIY. DIY? Yes, sirree. Do it yourself. Everything a man needs to stay self-sufficient. Man versus wild. I can do it all by myself. I have everything I need right here. What kind of gadgets do you have? I don't know much about self-sufficient gadgets. You see, I need other people. When I connect with others, I care, learn, and serve better. You need other people? On this thing, I've got sermons. I've got worship music. I've got seven translations of the Bible. I don't need to go to church. I don't need anybody. I was created to connect and to care for other people and to have them care for me. I, I need that accountability. Accountability? Who needs people? That's why I have this mirror. If I ever need to talk to someone, I just look at my own reflection. I even take turns sitting on either side of the table, drinking two cups of coffee. How do you do it? How, how do you survive? Don't you ever get tired of doing all that on your own? I don't know. How do we do it? Uh, it's been designated by somebody, I'm not exactly sure who, that, uh, that today is Worldwide Communion Sunday. Now, there are many churches around the world that, uh, that uh, take part in communion every Sunday. That's the preference and style of some. For us, it's several times a year. But I thought it would be a very good thing for us on this day, that's called Worldwide Communion Sunday, to, to share with the, the millions of believers around the world that are doing that. And we often uh, take communion uh, in the church, and it becomes something that uh, we've done this before. And for some of us, it's very meaningful, and for others, it's just simply, well... We should do it. Everybody else is doing it. It's a, uh, we know it's an important thing, but it, it feels just like a ritual to us. But I just wanted to remind us this morning before we uh, have the privilege of sharing together in communion of, of some things that we affirm or should affirm uh, in our hearts and in our minds before we receive today. I want you to just think about these things with me this morning quickly. Uh, the first is this. When we receive communion, we, uh, when we receive these elements here today, we publicly identify ourselves with Jesus and with his people. We're making a, a public statement that we do this together, and I identify myself with Jesus and with his people. Secondly, we affirm our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. When we, uh, when we take these elements, we believe we believe that what he did on the cross is enough for our salvation, and we accept that by faith, and we reaffirm that when we take communion together. Third, we demonstrate our belief in salvation by grace and not our own achievements. When you take the, the bread today and dip it in the cup, you should think about the fact that Jesus Christ has chosen to offer you his grace, and if you receive that today, it's as if... It's as if he's washing you anew again and pouring out his grace on you. And I don't, I don't know about how you feel this morning, but I don't feel like I deserve everything God has done for me. I especially don't believe that I deserve for Jesus Christ to suffer and die on the cross for me. But I am very, very thankful this morning that he did that. And I want to accept and receive his grace today. Fourth, you repent of any known and unconfessed sins. 
And if you've brought any baggage of unconfessed sin with you here this morning, even right now, even right now is a good time to say, Lord, it's not hidden from you. You know about it already. And I just humbly confess and repent of it right now and ask for your forgiveness. It's a, that's a barrier to so many of us experiencing God's presence that we've not confessed sin in our lives. Number five, you expect to encounter the presence of God. I don't know if you came to church this morning because you felt like you had to, because your spouse or your parents or your friends put peer pressure on you to come. Or I, don't, I don't know if you exactly, but I, I pray this morning that you came expecting for God's presence to be real in your life. And I believe, and we believe as a church, that it is very real, very real, and there's a unique sense of the presence of God when we remember who Jesus is and what he's done for us and share that in communion. And that leads us to number six. You remember today the suffering of Jesus in your behalf, that he did what he did for you, not for some grand religion, but he did what he did for you, with you in mind, you personally. Number seven, you embrace the sacrifice of Christ. There's something about taking this that we should remember the suffering of Jesus and remember that he calls us to sacrifice and perhaps even some suffering well not perhaps if we follow him there'll be moments when we suffer because of our faith in him to different degrees but we embrace that this morning because of what he did for us number eight you declare your hope today in the resurrection and the return of our Lord Jesus Christ that we believe that today and we affirm it and when we receive his grace today and remember what he did on the cross we remember that the cross isn't the end of the story but he rose again and we are expectingly waiting for him to return in his power and glory and finally this morning you express a commitment to unity of the church that you would do nothing to divide God's people but you express a commitment to unity in Christ. Just as the Father and Son and Spirit are one, we become one, and then that enables us to reach out in love, the love that comes from the Lord this morning. Come by, break off a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, and affirm your faith, receive grace, and remember who Jesus is and what he's done for you. I want us to uh, begin to look in the next few weeks in the Gospels again. We had a, a round in, in uh, going through the, the nine sections of the entire Bible as we've divided it up for this year and our road trip through the Word. Uh, we'd had a, a, a time of the Gospels early in the year, but we're going to spend the next few weeks there. And today I want us to look at Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. And I'm just going to kind of go through some some statements that uh, Jesus made. This is one of those sections. If you have, if you have one of those Bibles that, that has the red print, this is one of those sections where it's just, just about all red. Just about every word you're reading is straight uh, from the mouth of, of Jesus himself. And that's what we find in uh, Luke chapter 12. Some of what you would read in Luke chapter 12 you would find in some of the other Gospels, almost word for word. Uh, which is a, an affirming thing to know that Matthew and, and Luke and Mark and others were hearing the same things and validating those, those same things, especially the words of Jesus. 
There are several major statements that Luke recorded in what, uh, in what we have as chapter 12 of his gospel that are, I would call them, life-altering. I mean, if you embrace what, what Jesus says in, in these statements, if you take them to heart, if you say, I'm going to believe that, I'm going to act on it, I'm going to live by it, they're life-altering statements. I mean, business can't be as usual if you, if you go by what Jesus says in these places. And I'm, I could spend a lot of time on each verse, but I'm just going to give you some of these life-altering statements. The first one I'll highlight is Jesus said this in Luke chapter 12. Don't be afraid of others. Don't be afraid of others. And most of our fears and worries that, that a lot of us have in life have to do with what other people think and what other people are going to do. But Jesus says... There's no reason to be afraid of other people and of, and of what they're going to say, what they're going to do. But instead, the one thing you do need to do along these lines is fear God. Fear God. Now, and look, this is one of those places where most of the time, uh, in the context of the word fear, especially as you look at it in Psalms or Proverbs, when it says something like the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, we know that that means the respect or the reverence or the awe of God. But in this context, if you look at what Jesus says, he's saying, no, you should be afraid of God and of what he can do. He's powerful. He's not anybody to mess with. He's not anybody to trivialize. And you don't need to waste your worry and fears on other people. You should fear God who has the power to do whatever he wants to do in your life, including Cast you aside if you reject him. Now, that, that doesn't necessarily sound... Well, I like it better when we talk about fear in terms of respect and reverence. I'm a little more comfortable with that. I, I am, anyway. But here it says, no, not just respect. You need to recognize the power of God today. Here's another statement that Jesus uses, and he gives an illustration about it. But he says, only a fool does not have a rich relationship with God. Only a fool would put God on the margins. Only a fool would discount what God says. Only, only a fool would do whatever they want to do, whatever they think's best, and eat, drink, and be merry, disregarding God. Jesus says only a fool does that. But the wise person has a rich, deep relationship with God. Here's another major statement that you, that you see in some other places. Jesus says, seek the kingdom above all else. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. I like some translations that say this. You should make the kingdom of God your primary concern. And this is one that comes with a promise. Jesus says when you do that, when you seek the kingdom above all else, then God will give you everything you need. Everything that you truly need. If you make him the primary concern, the number one priority, you'll get everything that you truly need. He says this, your treasure shows where your heart is. The treasure shows where your heart is. So in other words, 
where you're really invested demonstrates where your heart really is. So today, if we opened up our bank accounts and our bills and all of those things before God, if we could show a track line of where our money's being spent, that would definitely be one way to show where our heart is. Other ways would be if we could take a look at your daily calendar. And uh, some of us maybe don't keep strict daily calendars, but let's say if we followed you around for about 48 to 72 hours and see how you spend your time, it would demonstrate a measure of where your heart really is, where you're invested, what you're doing with what you have and how you're using it. It shows where your heart really is. So much more than your words. Jesus said this. Made a really big point of this. He said, be ready all the time for the master's coming. He used a parable to describe that. And he said, be ready all the time for the master's coming. Don't, don't treat your, your, your anticipation of, of God's presence and the Lord's return in your life as if you've got all the time in the world and, and uh, you, can, you can put it off, you can wait, it's, it's, you do it when it's convenient. He says, no, you've got to be ready all the time for the Master's coming. All the time. And he followed that up by this statement that's often quoted even in just regular society and culture. He said, to whom much has been given, much is required. And he kind of restated it in another way. He said, if you've been entrusted with much, then even more will be required of you. I don't know exactly how all of that would break down in your life. I have trouble enough trying to break it down in my own, but I do recognize this today. I couldn't be on any Fortune 500 list. I'm never going to get into Forbes magazine for any reason. But I know I've been given a lot. So much. Materially, I've got, I've got half of my garage that I can't pull a car in to. I've, I've got junk and stuff. And I've, materially, I've got... Plenty to feed me and my family on multiple times over and have some left over each week. Compared to millions, if not billions of people in the world, I am materially rich. And so in that sense, much is required from me. But I've also been blessed in, in other ways to me that are even, even far more valuable. I mean, the... the the background that I have and the family that I come from and, and the friends and, and God's blessed me with and my immediate family and, and all of the love that I receive from them and, all, and the blessings that people like you pour into my life, I've been given so much. And Jesus said, if, if you've been entrusted with much, even more is required of you. And I think I've only scratched the surface of what he might require of me. What about you? 
And then in Luke chapter 12, and this is really, we're coming to the verse that, that God led me to and pulled me to that I didn't really remember, and I certainly haven't quoted. But it's what drew me to, to, to this chapter somehow, and I wanted to put this verse in context. That's why I've given you so much that's leading up to it, and then we'll talk about a couple of things after it. But Luke chapter 12, verse 49, there's a verse to me that, I don't know, for me it's somewhat disturbing. Luke chapter 12, verse 49 says this, I have come to set the world on fire, and I wish it were already burning. Jesus said, I've come to set the world on fire. And, my, and I wish it were already burning. And in my translation, it has an exclamation point after that sentence. It had been very interesting to hear him speak this verbally and what the tone was when they wrote it down. And he talked about, he said, and I've got a terrible baptism of suffering ahead of me. And, and, and we know what in, that entailed for him. And then he said, don't think I came to bring peace. And we're like, well, wait a minute. I thought when Jesus was born, they, they, they said, peace on earth, goodwill to men. And don't we sing songs about that? And aren't, aren't we supposed to be people of peace? And all? Well, you've got to take the balance of Scripture and put all this together. But I'm, I'm just right there with you. When I read this, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I understand. But he spells out what it means. He says this, because of me, because of Jesus Christ, people will be divided against each other. Even when it, within families, people will be split apart. Three in favor of me or two against. Two in favor, three against. Talks about mothers and, and daughters and fathers and sons and mother-in-laws and daughter-in-laws and all of that. And say, well, it's not that easy to be, separ- you know, be divided with our in-laws. It's lots of stuff going into that. No, this isn't, this isn't about just disagreements that we have because of personality or preferences or circumstances this is Jesus saying because of your commitment to me it will mean there'll be some division and separation with other people who won't share that now that's right there and then there's a couple of major statements that he makes after that he says this you need to understand the times that you live in You need to recognize the kind of world you're living in and what's going on, the culture around you and the the things that are changing and and watching the signs of things and understand that as best you can. And then he kind of closed out this section of teaching basically saying this. You've got some accounts to settle with God. You better settle them now. Settle up now. Don't put it off and think you can do it. He uses the illustration. Don't think that on your way to court, as you're riding or driving there, that you're going to be able to fix it then. You better get it straight now. Don't think at the last moment. He says, settle up now and be ready. So I wanted you to be mindful of the context of that... uh, of that verse that, that struck me and, and has gripped me, and it's kind of strange, and some of you are wondering, man, this is, why did I come to church today? What, what's going on here? 
When Jesus says, I've come to set the world on fire. And I wish it were already burning. Now, if we're supposed to be like Jesus, if we're supposed to follow him, imitate him, do what he wants us to do, go where he wants us to go, be like him, what do you do with a verse like this? Set the world on fire. And I thought about it, and, you know, we use the phrase on fire a lot. I mean, there's lots of different ways that we use the phrase on fire um, or something similar to that. It's used, uh, that kind of phrase is, is used a lot uh, in music over the years and in, in lyrics and things like that. You go back to... You go back to the, to the crazy uh, culture days of the late 60s, early 70s, and Jim Morrison and the Doors were singing a real controversial song at the time. Come on, baby, light my fire. Another phrase in that song, time to set the night on fire. And it doesn't take a genius to know what kind of fire he was talking about. He's talking about sensual passion. And so we use being on fire in, in that way in our culture. I don't know all that Alicia Keys means when she says this girl is on fire right now. It's on that commercial too. That, what's that a commercial for? It doesn't matter, but it's on all the time. This girl is on fire. I, I looked up at some of the words. I still don't know exactly what she's on fire about. I, I think she's talking about, there's a phrase in there, something about having a flame in her eyes. I think it's talking about being driven and consumed with being all who she thinks she can be and stand up to the world and have a dream and passion for life. I, I think that's what she's talking about. If any of y'all have on an insight, you can share that with me later. We certainly use the phrase on fire when we're talking about sports. That's, that's used a lot. Sometimes we even get fancy and use Spanish and say, he's in fuego. <laughs> I mean, somebody's really hot. I mean, you can't miss a shot. I mean, the hoop just seems gigantic. You let it go. It's going in every time. That's the kind of thing where you, the, the guy gets up to bat and the ball just looks like a beach ball to him coming in. And he just knows and feels he can hit it as hard and anywhere he wants to. It's playing golf and you just feel like the the, putt, the, the, the hole's as big as a bathtub. All i got to do is hit this. It's going in. I'm just on fire. We, we just use it generally. You know, just general excitement. You go up and ask somebody if they're ready. Doesn't matter what you ask them they're ready for. And it's, oh yeah, I'm fired up. I'm fired up. I don't know exactly all the time really what being on fire looks like, though, when it comes spiritually. Promise Keepers was a, was a, a thing that God raised up, I believe, for, for several years that made a big difference in the lives of a lot of men in, in our country in particular. It, it definitely did in my life. It's, it's kind of one of those things that was raised up and used for a season and now seems to have faded away. But it was, it was something very significant in my life that God used to get a hold of my heart 
about who I was as a, as a man and as a father and as a husband. And I, I loved going to those big events, Promise Keepers. Went a couple of, about three times to, to gigantic football stadiums that were filled with men uh, listening to God's word, praying, singing, and uh, several other times in smaller arenas. But there was one thing that would go on at pretty much every Promise Keepers event that I went to that I just kind of cringed when it went on for some reason. And it, would, it was this thing where this group of, some group of men somewhere got off a bus and they'd had too much Dr. Pepper or something. And, and, and you know, they're just so excited to be out of the house and, and you know, whatever it is. And, they, and they're anticipating things getting started. And so they start chanting. We love Jesus, yes we do, we love Jesus, how about you? And they'd throw it over the other side, and then another group of men would begin to get bold, and they would, they would say, yeah, we love Jesus, yes we do, we love Jesus, and you'd go back and forth, back and forth. And I just don't know, and, and if there's any of my friends here that have been to Promise Keepers with me, and you liked that, I apologize. Um, I just thought that was weak. That was just one of those things that felt like to me like, that's just, that's just us saying words here in this arena, in this safe place, and when we go out of this building, how boldly are we going to proclaim Jesus when we get out of here? So being fired up and being on fire through Jesus Christ. What's that look like? What would that look like in my life? Because I don't think that describes my life. I certainly don't feel like I'm setting the world on fire for Jesus. And if I'm brutally honest, I think we have a really good church with lots of wonderful people. But if you ask me, if we were setting the world on fire, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29, says these words. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping Him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. That is much different than saying our God is a big teddy bear. Our God is a nice, jolly Santa Claus. Our God is a good life coach. Our God is a wise advisor. I I don't know, it sounds a whole lot different to me to say our God is a consuming fire. So what's that look like? 
I'm not sure. But I just sense today that that's what God's calling us to. God is calling us to be consumed by Him. Which I think is a different thing than being consumed with Him. I don't think the call today is to be consumed with more religious activity. Getting a longer list of rules. It's something about just being totally and completely William Barclay said this the essence of Christianity is that loyalty to Christ has to take precedence over the dearest loyalties of this earth that sounds consuming to me that's what that sounds like. You know, I heard these words this week from a, a president of our country 70, well, about 80 years ago now. And I don't know what he meant by it. I really don't even know the context that he said it. But Franklin Delano Roosevelt said, I doubt if there is a problem, political or economic, that will not melt before the fire of a spiritual awakening. And I just wonder if that's not true about your life today. If there's not a single problem in your life that seems like such a gigantic obstacle that wouldn't melt before the spiritual awakening of the consuming powerful presence and love of God in your life. There was a, a quote that John Wesley, who is the person who had uh, a lot of influence on 18th century England, and then that spilled over and into the Americas. Uh, he was the founder of the Methodist movement that became the Methodist Church. There's been tons of branches off the Methodist Church, Church of Nazarene is one of those. John Wesley said this. He said, if you catch on fire with enthusiasm, people will come for miles to watch you burn. Now, I think he was using the word enthusiasm, meaning spiritual enthusiasm, but, you know, I thought about that, and that's pretty much true in other veins, though. The people that we pay our dollars to see and entertained by are people that do it with some passion. And maybe if we caught on fire with the fire of the Holy Spirit, people would say, I just want to see what's going to happen next how God's going to work. Finish with one final quote, and then we're going to change um, scenes a little bit here. C.S. Lewis said this, God is intent on making you and me. Listen to these adjectives here. Into a dazzling, 
radiant, immortal creature. Pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot imagine. A bright stainless mirror that reflects back to God perfectly, though on a smaller scale, His own boundless power and delight and goodness. Wow. Is that what God wants to do in my life? I don't feel that dazzling and radiant today. I didn't even shave my head this morning. So there's maybe not that glow that sometimes. That's certainly not what God's talking about. He's talking about doing something in here that would radiate in how I live my life. And he wants to do the same thing in you. I do not have any answers this morning about any new program or new emphasis or instruction or formula as to how that should come about and how you and I could set the world on fire for Jesus Christ. I think the only thing we can do it's just ask God to awaken a desire in us for that to happen. And then pray and seek Him. Prayer is powerful, it's effective, it makes a difference. So do it. Before we leave today, I asked uh, Pastor Michelle if she'd come today and share um, the difference that prayer's making uh, in our church. I asked the worship team to go ahead and come up while she's coming and uh, let her share, and then I think maybe we'll close with a time of prayer before we leave today. Well, I asked a couple of people, too, uh, that I know that God is really working in their situations in their life to um, write a, a brief testimony about what uh, a difference prayer makes and, and what a difference um, community makes. Um, first one is going to be Monica Garza. It's going to be on your screen. Um, she says, My husband Robert has been sick for 17 years with diabetes, but the worst overcame him three years ago when he was diagnosed with end-stage renal disease. He started dialysis and was on the road to start the transplant process. The three years have been an uphill battle with so many issues that Robert faced. Along the way, our family has always had the loving support of Houston First Church. They supported us in many ways, including redoing our home so that when Robert came home, it was easy for him to maneuver around the house. The main thing that the people of HFC did was pray for us. They prayed for Robert's healing and his spirit. They prayed for us as a family and mainly me as his wife and his caregiver. All through the process, we have been covered in prayer. On the last day of Robert's life, Pastor Chad and Doug Harberger were at our home as I had to break the news to my children. Pastor Jeffrey and Pastor Michelle were on the phone with me several times throughout the day. Both Pastor Jeffrey and I were out of town. As Robert passed, Pastor Chad was with us and prayed over Robert. Other people from church were also there to support us. The prayers that were occurring during that difficult few hours prior to making the decision were the most comforting. 
it allowed me to know what I, that I was making the right decision and that we were going to be okay as we said goodbye to Robert. After his passing and through all the preparation of his funeral, we continued to feel the support and prayers from our church family. This was never something I was prepared to really endure during this phase of my life. Each day that has passed, through the bad days and the good ones, I'm comforted that we are still being prayed for, as each day holds something new for all of us. Monica, we, we are still praying for you guys. and You can ask Monica. Asking for prayer is um, sometimes very humbling. Um, when you have issues in your life, uh, it's just even if they don't come about from your own fault, if they're not of your doing, it's still humbling. And I, I think that's what God calls us to do is to humble ourselves and, and ask when we need help and when we need prayers. And, um, and Monica was very good about doing that, very good about being open, which allowed us to, to care for her. And God has really, really answered prayers um, in their lives. And, you know, I don't, God did not ultimately physically heal Robert on this life in this life, but I can assure you that he is completely physically and spiritually healed now where he is with God. Um, the next one is Kendall Ramirez. She says, as many of you know, the last two and a half years of my life have been full of many trials. There have been many changes that have happened. With the help of my church family, pastoral staff, and God, I have gotten through it stronger, more confident, and closer to God than I have ever been. I had my son graduate and go to college, which I know is a good thing, but a change nonetheless. Despite doing everything I could to save my marriage, it ended. God provided us with a new place to live that has been perfect for us. Two months after my divorce was final, I found out I was laid off. At that point, because of the prayer warriors I had, I renewed my relationship with God. I did not doubt that God was in control and would take care of me. I knew he had great plans for me. My church family has been there praying and helping me in every way they could. I could not imagine how life would have been if I did not have the support and love surrounding me. I was blessed when I got my job back last year, and this school year I am currently in a full-time position closer to home. God has put special people in my life when I have needed them. He knows exactly what I need and when I need it. God is my rock, and I know he will always take care of me and my children. He has provided, and I know he will continue to provide for us. I trust him completely and know I am living in his will. I no longer worry, but trust that God is in control. Thanks to my church family and thanks be to God. Praise the Lord for that. I didn't ask them to write these so that you could say, oh, look, we're a great church. Look what we've done. I asked them to write it so that you know and you can just see physical evidence that God cares that he does answer our prayer when we seek him. It's not always easy to seek him. It's very humbling at times to seek him. We don't always know what to say. We don't always know how to pray. Uh, we, when you say, uh, I'll pray for you, what does that mean? When you say, uh, spending time with God in prayer at home alone, what does that look like? Um, it's hard to know. But I know that, uh, as Jeffrey said, if we're going to um, leave, lead a life for Christ and be on fire, then we're going to have to do it through prayer. So not, all, not a lot of you um, like to get up um, and pray. You hardly ever come to the altar. But I'm, I'm going to do um, something this morning. I'm going to ask you to come to the altar if you have a great uh, burden in your life right now. If you are having job problems, marital problems, 
um, physical problems, whatever it may be, I'm going to ask that you come to the altar and, and the pastors will pray over you. Um, some of us are just apathetic this morning. We're just indifferent to God, like Jeffrey said. We're, um, we just will take God and we leave him, we, or we can leave him. We come to church on Sunday mornings and we go through the rest of our week and we don't give much thought to God or to the things of God. Um, if that's you, I'd ask you to come as well. Just uh, go ahead and come on up, um, and if the rest of you just um, would bow your heads and uh, just pray with us. Father, I thank you for these people gathered in this place today. God, right now I just have to ask you to forgive us, to forgive me of apathy, Lord, of indifference to you um, on any day but Sunday. God, I know that's not our intention, or most of us, it's not our intention, but Lord, life happens, it gets in the way, we have kids to take to school, take to soccer, we have kids to play football, we need to watch their games, Lord, we're busy people, and busyness edges you out of, of the way. God, right now, I would ask that you would show each of us, Lord, where we are apathetic in our relationship and in our walk with you, Lord. God, I pray if it's just because we watch too much television when we come home at the end of the day because we're tired, or if it's because we you haven't answered in a prayer the way you thought we thought you should answer it, or whether it's because we have relationship problems or that we don't feel good that we've been laid off or we can't find a job, Lord, all of those things get our attention and keep us from being on fire for you. Lord, I pray that we would give those burdens to you this morning, even right now, Lord, that you would take um, all of our sin, all of our shame away, you would take our pride away, Lord, that you would just help us to be the people that you have called us to be. Lord, prayer is, is it's just awkward sometimes. We don't know what to say. We don't know how to pray. But Lord, the Bible says that your Holy Spirit prays for us and groans and utterances that that we, that even if we don't know what to pray for, He does, Lord. He, he, he prays on our behalf to the Father. God, even if we don't know what to pray, Lord, help us just to have a spirit of prayer. Lord, I pray that when we leave this place, Lord, that we would continue to have a spirit of prayer. Lord, you know I am a talker. I pray all the time. I tell you more than you want to know. Of course, you know everything about me anyway, Lord, but Lord, it's just talking to you. And you know our thoughts, you know our needs, you know uh, what we're gonna say. So Lord, help us just to say it to you. Help us just to turn our thoughts into prayer, Lord. Help us to be the church that you want us to be. Help us to care for one another and most importantly, care for the others outside of these walls, Lord. We cannot make a difference in your kingdom if we are not letting you make a difference in our own lives, Lord. Help us to surrender. Show us what that looks like, Lord. God, I pray for all of those here who are physically sick, Lord. I pray that you would touch their bodies and that you would bring healing to them, Lord. I pray for those who are out of a job and who are scared and worried about where their next meal will come from or where their 
how their bills will get paid, Lord. I pray, God, that you would be their provision. Lord, I pray for those in here that have relationship problems, God. Would you help us to put each other first, Lord, and not be so selfish and want to put ourselves first? Would you soften hearts, open our eyes to our spouses and the way you think of them and help us to think of them that way, Lord? God, whatever our needs are, you are God. You are a big, mighty, powerful God. Help us not to take that for granted, God, but help us to seek you in everything that we do and everything that we are. Lord, we praise you this morning. We praise you because you care for us. We praise you because even if we were the only person in the world that you would have died for, you still would have died. We praise you for the love that you shower on us, the grace that you shower on us, even though we don't deserve it, Lord. God, we love you this morning. Help us to go from here and give you everything that we have and everything that we are. It's going to take a lot of work, yes. It's going to take putting our wants and our desires aside and putting you first. But God, you always replace our wants and our desires with something far better. So help us to be Christ-minded when we leave here and throughout this week. And I just pray your blessings on these people and on this church. I thank you for the leadership that we have, Lord, and ask that you would um, just raise them up, Lord. We just love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.